welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today I have Amy Lewis, and this is cool because it's not very often I'm interviewing somebody that I know that lives in my area. So Amy, you and I both live in Reno, and we've met, we hugged before the coronavirus happened pretty recently. And your business is craniawave.com. So t- tell us about that. Well, cranial wave is, uh, I, I practice cranial sacral therapy. So that your cranial wave uh, is that part that I work on in your body, your actual, you know, your, your brain and spinal cord, you know, the covering of the brain and spinal cord create this like sack that moves, right? The cerebral spinal fluid. So it's like riding someone's wave when I'm working on them. So cranial wave, so I'm working on your wave. That's where cranial wave came from. But as a craniosacral therapist, I really work on uh, releasing restrictions from the body. And those restrictions can be in any form, whether that's a physical trauma, accident, injury. It can be a mental belief or thought pattern. It can be emotions that get stuck um, from trauma or from an injury. So whatever level it can be, it can be something you bring in with you that is just stuck in there, stuck in the body. So it's really working on the body to release restrictions on all levels. And, and is the pain okay. anywhere in your body? It's anywhere in your body. So I, the, you know, how it started was this cranial rhythm, cranial rhythm, you know, in the cerebral spinal fluid, the brain and spinal cord, the meninges, right? But we moved out and work on any membrane or soft tissue. So that's fascia, muscle, bone. I mean, I can work anywhere, immune system. I've, I've been doing it for about 25 years. So I've gotten pretty pretty good at listening with my hands. I well, I love that. Do you do you feel people when you walk into a room? Because we were recently at a conference together. Mm-hmm. Do you feel people in the room that are hurting? I, I have. I think I haven't. You know, I think some of us have extra senses than yeah. the five, right? And I do feel that I work really hard to not imp- encroach on people or to go in without permission. So I try to bring my, I usually bring my antenna in when I'm in a group because, you know, it's that way. But usually when I tell people what I do, then they, they come right to me, mm-hmm. right? Those people. So then they'll come up, Hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And I'm like, you know, let's have a conversation. And so people hold their pain everywhere. People hold their pain. So usually what they're coming in for is not, you know, we work on that, but usually there's something deeper, something older. Usually we work in, you know, as you know, layers. So if you think about your body as a onion, you have some traumas that go just a little bit in, you know, maybe to the, you know, like you have a shoulder issue. Some go deeper, some go deeper, some go all the way into the core of us, which I call life lessons or something that I'm working with my whole life. It's with me. Have you ever had that where you're like, gosh, I've done so much work on this issue. When am I going to be done? And I just am like, you know, there's always more because it's the life lesson. So yes, um, I have might have actually said those exact words in the past. Yeah. Like what? Why is this again? <laughs> I don't want to right, do this one. I I can tell you, I've had so many people on my table that says, you know, and they'll come up and they'll say, I've already worked on this. I've done all the therapy, ah, la 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 la. And I said, well, have you released it from your body? And they say, ah, ah, nah, ah. So I said, well, <laughs> now's your time. Or you know, and there's no. I want to rephrase. 
if someone doesn't want to go someplace, we don't. So it's really, you know, we partner. So I'm not, I mean, I'm an expert in cranial, but you're an expert in your body. So if there's something that's too much for you, I do not want someone to go into the straitjacket in the white room. You know, I want them to be able to manage. So we go in baby steps and it's really, you really lead the session and I follow. So that's a real key is I'm following your body's innate healing wisdom. And it gives me signs through the physical body that this is significant. So I'll stop and maybe ask a, a question, an open-ended question to open the dialogue. If you're really cooking, and what I mean by that is you're really deep in that deep, quiet place, I will let you just process because it's happening so fast. If I ask that question, I actually bring you up and out of process. So really just listening to the body and where, where you are. Sometimes there's no dialogue. Sometimes there's a little dialogue. And purpose of dialogue is to help you go in. So if you're already in that space of working with the healing and the trauma, then we just I just follow and work on the body. I mean, I'm just with you right there. I really walk with you on your journey to healing and, you know, health. I love the uh, analogy of the onion in the kids movie Shrek, you know, that's like the funniest place you see that, um, that that's, I would like an onion, you know, you've got to peel back the layers, but it is so true. It's so true. It's so true. And the layers that we do not want to address, it's just like a stub toe. You will keep hitting it. You will keep hitting it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so painful. So you will, it's like, an, it's like a magnet. You attract more of the same, right? And so it may show up a little different, but it's like, gosh, I'm back here again. What the heck? It's like the walking down the sidewalk, right? You walk, you fall into the hole. You know that story? No, you're walking through the so sidewalk. you walk down the sidewalk. You, you, you're walking down the street. You turn onto a sidewalk and you're, all of a sudden you fall into a hole. You're like, what the heck? How did I get here? Oh my gosh, I don't know how to get out. I'm stuck. Ah! So time passes and you somehow get out, but you really don't know. So you walk down that strange street, you turn down that um, residential area. You, 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 see, you see the hole right before you slide in again. You're like, oh my gosh, for God's sake. Ah! It's easier to get out, but you're like, I am never going in that hole again. So you walk down the street again, you turn into that residential area, you see the hole, you're like, I'm going to go around it. And you start to go around it, but you slide in. You're like, <laughs> and you know how to get out. It's, it's, you know, you're yeah. familiar now, it's becoming conscious. So then you do it again, you're walking down the street, you turn down that road, you see the sidewalk and you're like, and you see the hole and you're like, okay. And you walk, you walk way around it. So you're like, yes, I did it. And then the last time you walk down the, the, the road, you turn to go and you say, do I really need to even go down that road? And you keep uh, got it. Oh, all right. Yeah. It takes a few times, doesn't it? Like, like a two by four. <laughs> Tell me about the training to do this because I loved when I first met you a couple of years ago and you were like, yeah, I help people with the issues in their tissues and pain. And I was like, oh, and the way you said it made so much sense because we hold on to so much in our bodies. And I loved it. How, what's the training like to learn this? Sure. So with cranial sacral therapy, you practice under another license. So you can practice as an MD, you can practice as a nurse, you can practice as a dentist, you can practice as a occupational therapist, physical therapist. I practice under massage therapy. So when I first started in 1995, lay people could take the first class because, you know, Dr. Upletcher, it's, I, I practice 
our Gallimite training through the Upledger Institute. He was, an, he was a DO, uh, an osteopathic doctor, so cranial is based out of osteopathic principles. And he just thought more than DOs needed the, the techniques. So he opened it up to anyone who had a license, but he also allowed lay people to come into the first class because, you know, when you have someone who has an issue, a, a child, a husband, a wife, a, a parent, he wanted you to be able to have some tools. So in the first class, at that point, you'd learn some techniques that would really help. Uh, anymore, they don't allow lay people. You have to have some type of license you're practicing under because they want you to have lingo and some anatomy and when they're talking. And so uh, that's, so I, with Upledger, getting back to the training, you start in cranial one and that's basic principles. You learn the 10 step protocol and then you go to cranial two, you learn mouth work. So it's a building process and there's a core class, a core group of classes. And then from there you can go to different advanced classes. So I take a class at least every two years. Uh, in the last few years, I've taken five classes. I did an uh, immune uh, class, a set of immune classes and cranial. So we looked at the thorax, we looked at the pelvis, we looked at the extremities, we looked at the whole body, and we looked at the neck and brain. And it was a whole class, so it took about two years to go through that wow. series, but it was pretty phenomenal. Really took me in it too. So now I, when I'm working, I also go into the immune system in that area because immunity is all over the body. It's not a system like your cardio system or your digestive system. You have immunity everywhere, but you yeah. don't have it in some places. You shouldn't have it, let's say, in the blood vessels. It should be in the blood, but not the blood vessels. So if you have trauma in the blood vessels, you may have some inflammation. And inflammation is the response of the immune system. I just think what you do is so fascinating just from that whole science standpoint. And then that's why I asked about the training because I was pretty sure, I, and I was correct, that you had to get it through very specific routes. Right. And so because there's a differentiation between energy work and what you're doing, and it's a huge differentiation, but there are some overlapping principles. And so I... I love it. I think it's sure. so neat. Um, and I also love the theory that we can have trauma, even trauma that we don't necessarily consciously remember, that we're just hanging on to. I think we've seen a spike in anxiety and depression. I know with working with foster kids, that's definitely, there's be definitely been a spike and a spike since with social media with sexual issues. So have you seen the same sort of spikes in that with anxiety? Well, I've seen a spike in anxiety for sure. You know, more people come in as that's one of their issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times people have issues and, and then it manifests in the physical body. So sometimes it doesn't have to be an actual, uh, let's say, mind racing or monkey mind or you get on the hamster. That is not a physical trauma. That's not a physical manifestation. That's a, something I'm doing in my mind that then creates physicality. So then that creates anxiety, that can create mind fog, that can create tension, right? And so really one of the things that's so important that works so well is, is, our, is our stress response to things, right? So how do we respond to stress? We have these hard wiring, hardwired responses that protect us. And so yeah. when we experience a threat, okay, 
this is really important. Flight fight responds to a real threat or a perceived threat. So if I'm worrying, I love to use worry. I'm worrying about something. I'm thinking about something that either happened before, but it's not happening right now, or it's going to happen in the future. I'm thinking about something forward thinking, but I'm thinking about it. What does my body do? It responds to my thinking, my worry. So then I have, maybe I have some tension, some racing heart, some clenching, mm. some shoulder clenching, right? Some butt clenching, right? I mean, I mean, these are the, we don't even, a lot of people don't realize they clench their butt, but they are because that's your biggest muscle. So you're going to either fight or you're right. going to get ready to run. So these are ways that like I ask, so how often do you clench? Is it daily? Is it weekly? That's going to tell me how, you know, what's the slow drip of, of fight, fight. Because if you're having tension in the shoulder, the jaw, the butt, the big muscles, right? What's happening in your little muscles or your blood vessels, right? So we talk about hypertension. Mm -hmm. That's high blood pressure. There's too much tension in your blood vessels. But you don't feel those. You don't feel the tension in your gut. Some people do. They get, you know, nausea or you know, that's part of anxiety. So these are, uh, there's so many overlaps, right? Mm -hmm. That threat, just now with what's going on, the whole, the whole world is going, you know, some of it like two weeks ago was a perceived threat. It wasn't real yet for a lot of us, but it was, we, you know, we were, you know, crisis. It's like, what's happening? So perceived threat or real threat. And you have this switch. It's not like, Jen, oh, I'm thinking, Am I gonna run away? Am I gonna decide? Am I gonna am I gonna punch him in the face? Am I gonna freeze up? It's like boom. And if you had to think about it, you would already be dead. Right. You'd be dead. You can't. The conscious thought takes three to seven seconds. You cannot. You don't have that much time. Mm -hmm. You see, I get so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? There is this fight, flight, and freeze, which you just mentioned, that people don't realize that sometimes your reaction is that you freeze too. And oh, that's a big one. And that is a big one. And that is not your that is not your sympathetic uh, system or the fight fight. It's actually a parasympathetic or the part of you that calms you down, right? After a fight fight. But the freeze, you have such a rush of it, you go into freeze mode. And again, it's, it's even a deeper or more primitive response than flight fight, believe it or not. And so those of us who prefer freeze, it's, it's again, it's like the possum. It's not like you're acting dead. You are dead. That's the freeze. So that you will be perceived as dead. Uh, so okay. your threat will go away. So when your boss is yelling at you and you go, <laughs> and you, you don't say anything and then you walk out of the room and then you know you walk into the elevator you go down the elevator you get out so about three to five minutes later you're like gosh i wish i would have said it i wish I see you're unfreezing you're unfreezing but at the moment you're like ah, ah. <sighs> it's so he doesn't attack you more Right. I, I, your examples are awesome because it's so easy for all of us. Because I don't think I freeze very often, but I have definitely, as a matter of fact, I think I can tell you that time that I said the exact thing I wanted to say at the exact time. And I'm so glad that I did is because I didn't freeze. 
Right. But we're not processing all of that information. You just, yeah. So we um, have preferences. We have preferences. So some yeah. of us use polite more. Ideally, we want to use all of them, all three, depending on the situation, because sometimes freeze is the appropriate response. But the thing is, is if we get stuck in a pattern, like we only freeze, then we can't fight when we need to fight or, you know, it, so we want to be able to use all of them versatile, you know, versatile, you know, that's what we want, you know. And not use them when it's a perceived, because you're talking about COVID-19, when this releases, it won't have been two weeks anymore, but, you know, we saw things happening in the world and we saw our freedom being threatened and our health being threatened and everybody instantly reacted to that person because at that point it was a perceived threat we right. didn't know very much we didn't understand what was happening we were trying to piece it together and so right and if you live in reno where we have 67 cases so far versus new york city who's on you know has several cases there's different levels yeah. of threat and that's important to identify one of the things i keep asking myself is what are we basing these decisions on is it time is it or is it conditions and if it is Right now, to me, as a healthcare provider and someone who studied public health, it really needs to be on conditions. Like, what are the conditions that are going to help us, you know, move forward or stay where we are? But just to have this blanket, yeah, down to me is is, is interesting because it really does trigger that control. Oh my oh, gosh! My What's happening? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I I have an interesting theory during this quarantine, regardless of when people listen to this. I am like the ultimate extrovert, so I thrive on people. But I work at home. I have a, I have we're minimalists. My office is really small. You would think for somebody so extroverted, like how could I stay in this small area by myself and just work? And I'm totally fine with it. And this situation's happening. And there were jokes at first. All the introverts saying. Oh, finally, people speaking my language. You know, I get to stay home, and and they're the ones that are freaking out the most. Yeah, I. So I don't think. So I get this thing with the extroverts. I'm an extrovert too. Right. I love my home. My home space. I mean, yeah. when people say you're so quiet at home, or you're so blah, blah blah, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with liking people or talking to people as much as I'm talking to people a lot still. Yeah, I am too. I'm engaging. You know, so I think it's. For me, anyway, that's yeah. I just it's it is interesting in the ways that people are really upset and freaking out, and I'm like, weren't you the one saying you never wanted to leave your house? Like you got I your know. wish, and now you're. I know. It's I know. interesting. <laughs> Our reactions are interesting to control. Yes. Let's go back and talk about your story okay. from when you were born, and and or it doesn't have to be right when you were born, but when things started to be real difficult for you in your life. Okay, well, it started when I was born. Okay, <laughs> nailed it. Because Nailed it. There you go. I mean, it's just, so I was born with my umbilical cord wrapped around my throat. Okay. And so didn't know that until I was, I started to know that around 12-ish, but I'll come back to that. So, so when I'll fast forward to 12, when I was 12, we, the style of clothing were that button up shirts with the, the tie. Oh yeah. You know, like that. And you have to button up in the little collar. So this is seventh grade. I'm like, you know, wanting to fit in. I was, Seventh grade is like molting chicken, you know, you're so, you're so, so, so awkward. And so, you know, you want to look so good, but you don't. So here I'm in this, but, and I can't stand anything around my throat. I just cannot stand it. I, I keep it for like 10 minutes and then I'm ripping the buttons off. Can't handle chokers. I'm like, mom, what is wrong with me? And she just said it's like blase or passing. Well, maybe it was because you're, you're, 
you know, you had the umbilical cord wrapped around your throat. So then, then I just remember that. So then, you know, in my twenties, when I started looking at my pain, I asked her again and she said, she told me the story. Um, where when I was born, you know, I, I was struggling. So they had to go in and it, 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 as he's trying to get it off, it rips off. Right. And I mean, I didn't have the little tag or anything. And my belly button as a child was looked like a button. It didn't have the innie or the outie. It was just this little button because the whole thing ripped off on its own. So when I came out, I did, I was still, it was still there. So I couldn't take that first breath. So I had a lot of inhale issues, which, you know, I just, you know, I just struggled with breathing, right? So that's, and, and of course that was all unconscious. I knew nothing of that. I mean, I've learned more as I've done my own work. That's what's been revealed or become conscious to me. So, which has been really powerful. So I, you know, I, right at the beginning, I came out and I was struggling to, you know, live. So then, um, so, a lot of this, a lot of my trauma came out when I got married. I got married in my 20s and really struggled with my sexuality because I just was so frozen and I didn't understand why. And I did a, you know, in college, I went to see the, uh, the college counselor, you know, where they, you know, they're practicing and we would talk about, you know, why is it so hard for me like to have an orgasm? It was very hard. It just took forever. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? I just felt frozen from the waist down. So when I got married and moved to Virginia, I did some really deep therapy. And out of that came that I was molested as a, I was between 18 months and two years. And by a, a family member, an external, like a extended family member. Because my mom at that time, when I was born, I had two older sisters. So between, in three years, she had three children, basically. So we were very close together. So she was doing some cleaning one day and she busted her meniscus. And at that time, you know, that was a big hospital stay. And when she got to the hospital and she was there, when she was there, she got pneumonia. And she had to stay. And um, my two older sisters were able to go to a little preschool that my grandma ran but I was too young because I wasn't potty trained. So I went to live with an extended family member and their family. And so what happened during that time, I was there for about six months because she was really sick. She couldn't take care of me. And my dad was working. So it's just one of those situations where that happened. And so between the two, the birth and this piece of being molested, so it was oral uh, trauma, so anything around the mouth and the throat and the breathing uh, was very significant. So I learned all of that in my 20s. So all during my childhood, I had all these sicknesses. I, had, I always had throat issue. So I had my tonsils out. I had an abscess. I had strep throat every couple of years. It was always in my throat. And uh, very interesting. So that was part of it right and why my throat why my throat you know and it was like this whole thing and so through cranial practice of my own doing my own body work you know this was revealed to me and so dentistry was hard for me being in the mouth anything in the mouth was just brutally brutally hard i still today any dentist i work with you know i have to share that with them because obviously 
it affects the work. And sometimes if I have to have long, I only can go for about an hour and a half in the dentist chair. And then the tears start coming. And then they're, they just, you know, dentists do not like people crying in the chair. <laughs> it's just like, you know, like, oh, please don't do it. And he, he'll go, what's going, what can I do? I said, can you stop? Well, you got a hole in your tooth. I said, well, then I'm going to cry and you keep working and then we're fine. And so it's just, I mean, you know, it's just it's good. I mean, I'm to a place where it's good, but it's the trauma, so many levels, you know, with freezing uh, and working with my husband on that in terms of sexuality, that took a long time, but that healed. You know, we have, we've done a lot of work in our marriage and our sexuality. So that healed, but it, you know, the child came to the bed a lot, you know, in, you know, into an adult uh, relationship. One of the tricks I learned was, hey, maybe, you, you know, you need to put your child to bed. You know, this isn't appropriate for them. You know, hang on, you're breaking up. That's okay. I don't know why, but suddenly the sound was just not there. So I, I heard you say it's not appropriate to bring your child to bed, which is an awesome way to say it. Mm -hmm. So I would literally say, you need to go take a nap or it's time for bed. So I would separate that part out. And she was called like we one. No, she's my wee one. And so just a lot of work like that was really uh, important and helpful and a lot of cranial work, you know, to help me release the trauma from my body because there was one therapy session I had um, in cranial where it was like I had to decide I was having two things go at the same time which this is connected to the birth I had to decide whether to swallow or to die so if I didn't swallow I'm dying if I swallow I'm taking in semen very hard and then at the same oh. time i stop breathing and I'm, I'm i'm so i'm having that trauma i'm experiencing the trauma of molestation and underneath that experience the trauma of like as if i was not breathing even though when i checked in i'm breathing but i feel like i'm not breathing like birth it's, it's just it's it's mind-blowing right it's bending the mind so and even though not that this is, I'm not justifying this or diminishing this, even though the molestation trauma was oral, mm -hmm. you still had trouble with your own orgasms, which is vaginal, like two totally right. different parts of the body. But did you perceive anything sexual? How, what is that connection? I think it was, um, that's a good question. I've never thought of that. So I guess what I would say to that is, here's what I would say. So sexuality is, I think of it as layers, right? Or, you know, like it, I was not ready. Yeah. It was like a flower bud. So I'm like in the green rose where it's just like this. And I was forced open at two to experience something that I, as I grew older, knew that was not appropriate, right? It's like coming through my sheaths of development. So it blew me into a rose, but it was too much. I didn't have the skill set. So I went further and further in instead of wanting to come out mm -hmm. and explore my sexuality or really any, anything. You know, I was very into staying controlled and I would say almost rigid, you know, 
I, I did not like turning the page. I wanted to be in control. I, I can't tell you how many times people would say, just go with the flow. And I'm like, don't tell me to go with the flow. <laughs> or I just had this experience. Someone said, if I was struggling and I was crying. And they said to me, they didn't know me very well. They said, it's okay. It's okay. And I'm like, fuck that. It is <laughs> not okay in this moment. So don't tell me it's going to be okay because it's not in this moment. See, if you would have right. said, what do you need to be okay? See, I just think that's just such a, you know, that just, it's more about them than me. Like, it's not okay for them. So they want me to be okay. Mm, that's uncomfortable. Right. And for children, when it's not okay and you say it's okay, it's a, it's a big fat lie. And they, you know, they feel like they're like a two, that's like a death. It's really is all or nothing. That's the developmental stage. All or nothing is a young uh, developmental stage where I'm either happy and everything's good or I'm miserable and I'm dying. Mm -hmm. It really is that way. And so when someone says, oh, it's okay. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going to die here. And you're telling me it's okay. Right. I mean, you know, it's, so I guess that budding, that pre-budding, and it was so nonverbal. See, that yeah. was the other thing, barely speaking. So, you know, when, I think when I'm having, was having sex as an adult, it would trigger that place where I didn't know what was going on. And so I, it would just trigger yeah. going back into that, even though it was a different part. Right. It still is in every cell, you know, the whole body freezes or the whole body tenses. I mean, it's, especially I think the piece about dying you know like swallowing it's like mm -hmm. this is not fun there's yeah. nothing fun about it I cannot let go I'll I die. think that was good that was great there's no wrong answer yeah I love it I, I love it I think it's so fascinating to me that at 12 I'm the same way I don't know why I just don't like things on my neck either but I don't have that same experience and I'm not as um upset by it like you are but when you say like those things those bows I was like uh-uh <laughs> not wearing that that's not happening but it's interesting that your mom was like oh it could be because the umbilical cord was around you like what a cool what a great thing that she said that or recognized it or even attached that or was able to tell you that story that's so great because you're right that probably planted a seed for you where you might not have thought that much about it at the time but later you were like wait a minute right it was wait a minute there's something here and that's not anything she did or the doctor did or you did or i mean it just was a situation right so yeah. very interesting that's fascinating to me when you were in your 20s and you were doing your own cranial work and you had a bigger conversation with your mom about the umbilical cord did you also talk to her about the molestation yeah, uh, well, so first the molestation, uh, yes. And my parents, I have to say, they, they're just, they're ahead of the time, I swear. They, they were, they're so good about acknowledging and not making wrong and listening. I mean, I think the thing with my parents, you know, I'm one of eight. So I was third, you know, there was, so there's five more children after me. And they really grew, you know, so the way they parented my sisters and I is definitely different the way they parented my brothers, you know, because they were at the end of the line. And they grew as parents. And I got to experience that as an adult child where they really did a lot of listening. And I think they handled it in the best way. They acknowledged, they believed me. And it was, 
you know, I know it was hard for them, but they didn't make me wrong or make me feel bad or like it didn't happen. Or sometimes I would get angry. Like, why did you, you know, like there was that part about, you know, why was, there was the part that the child saying, why, why did you leave me? But then the adult saying, I understand mm -hmm. you were sick. You couldn't take care of me. I mean, it wasn't their fault. Right. So I'm glad that that was kind of a side note out of my own curiosity, yes. if you were able to ever do that. And what, what were their thoughts about the fact that you got sick so often when you were young and it was all throat related, even just the umbilical cord, even just that information. I mean, I would have thought your mom with the comment in seventh grade would have been curious if that had anything to do with you getting sick and having it always be in your throat. I think, you know, the other thing, I don't think she, she was tired. Having yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, having a lot of kids. So I don't think she made that connection when I was sick. When we talked about it later, yeah, that made sense to her. She could see that. I mean, she definitely could see that and said, wow, you know, that makes sense. And uh, yeah, the abscess one was the biggest one because my throat was closing. I couldn't and my tonsils were like marbles. They were they were just huge. So the it was closing the throat, and there was because I had a big abscess. So I was hospitalized, and they wouldn't let parents stay in the room at that time. So I remember being seven, and the nurse saying, "Well, they can watch you on a, a monitor screen at home," and that's what made me feel safe. I mean, even though that wasn't true, she she told me a little bit, but it worked. Because, that's awesome. You know, I'm like ah. Because I had to stay there by myself. That that was actually oh. exceptionally great. I know. I thought, you know, those nurses, they're so good. They're so good. <laughs> That's okay. really great. I love nurses. So that was when you were seven. So tell me what happened when you were 10, because this is a completely unrelated situation. So 10, uh, my, so I lived in, we lived in Southern California. My parents came up to Reno to visit some friends and to look at the area. And we were, I was staying with some friends. I went on a bike ride and no helmets then, of course. And when we were coming home, we went to visit one of her friends. When we were coming home, I was, I was riding down this long hill that kept gradually getting, you know, it was really long. This bike had foot pedals and I was used to hand pedals, brakes. So as I, as I, went faster, I started to get a little scared. Well, I, I, I was doing this, you know, like break, break. And there was, I was going faster and faster. And I think finally I found the foot brakes and hit them too hard. And I went over to the handlebars and landed on the pavement asphalt and fractured my skull pretty bad, badly. And so uh, I was unconscious. I, you know, they, my sister was there and the friend and they went to get her mom. She came back. Yeah, I was still out. I was in the ambulance. I woke up in the ambulance and said, where's my barrette? That's where I get right there. Where's my barrette? Went back out. I woke up in the hospital. My parents were there. So I was out for a long time. Yeah. And it was a pretty big trauma. So, uh, and at that point, you know, for head trauma, they just, they just sent you home. They sent me home as a 10 year old and said to be quiet, I couldn't go to school for a month. And the pain was so excruciating, you know, and of course I have lots of sisters and brothers by that point, maybe five. And so I was by myself, it was kind of manageable, but as soon as my, my sisters came home and they were like, are you okay? And I thought like my head felt like it was, the pain was, this was incredible. 
So just had a lot of pain there. And uh, that was another big trauma in my life, which took me down a lot of roads in terms of, you know, headaches and headaches, 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 headaches. Yeah. Well, I mean, head trauma is a totally different animal and this was completely unrelated, but fracturing your skull is no small thing. No. So, so all of these, right. And I think the significance of all of these is, you know, when people come to see me, I've had so many of my own traumas, sicknesses, pains. I mean, I've had a broken arm, a sprained ankle. I mean, torn ligaments. I've had a lot of issues, you know, physical ones, just purely physical. And then obviously traumas that have emotional impact that most of the time there hasn't been too many things that, that really, you know, I'm just like, I'm here. I'm solid. I'm here. I think the best thing I learned in cranial about 10 years in, they started creating, you know, we, we would practice neutrality, which means I'm not giving energy to you. I'm not taking energy from you because every person, every human being, either when someone's in pain, if you're in pain, I'm either going to naturally take energy from you or I'm going to give you energy. We all have a preference, but that body may not need that yet. So if I'm doing that to you before your body asks me, it's when someone just gives you energy, it feels slimy or full or, ooh, or if someone takes it from you, you're like, whoa. So neutrality is just being neutral and listening. So it's like holding space for someone. They're in there. I'm holding the space for you to do your work. And I'm walking with you. If I come into the circle with you, who's holding the space? You know, work can't happen. Healing can't happen if, because then I become part of the, I become part of the trauma, the pain. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where empathy sometimes can get in the way because I feel for you. Sometimes it's a good technique, but sometimes stepping into people's puddles is not a good overall, right? So I hold space. And so by having all these traumas, it's really helped me be able to be with people and be, be neutral. And so but not a lot riles me, I guess. You know, I'm just right there and I... I I've experienced a lot. I had a birth trauma with my first child, you know, where I, I ripped severely four layers of, you know, so, I mean, I just have had a lot of different traumas, I think, which makes it, it really adds to, uh, I think adds to my healing practice. I like the saying that your niche, I mean, your trauma creates your niche. So my traumas, right? Creates my niche, makes it really a, a good match. You know, I haven't just stayed in them. I've worked right. through them. I, I think that's the other piece. You have to work, I have to work through them. So I'm, you know, so that I don't get triggered. When you're going through something that I have, and sometimes I'm human being, so sometimes I do. And one of the tricks I learned was if I'm working with you on the table, and all of a sudden I feel angry, excited, oh my gosh, I'm like, what the heck is this? Is this mine? Mm-hmm. Is this yours? So energetically, I go out of the room and take yeah. myself out. If I still feel angry on the other side of the room, it's mine. If I don't, it's yours. Interesting. Isn't it? Uh, yes, I, I love what you do. Um, did you started, you said that you, you got married, you're having trouble with sexuality. You started to go into therapy and try to figure out what was going on. Was that where you were exposed to the cranial therapy? No. So, so no. tell me about that piece of the journey. Okay. So after I got married, I did the work. We lived in Virginia by then, and I did some really intensive work. That got me going. I moved back to Reno, 
And by that time, I was a massage therapist working full-time as a massage therapist. I had a full practice, 94 to about, well, 94 to 95. I mean, I just, I got here, got my license, started working. And about two years in, I went to a therapist here who was a colleague and she did deep tissue like I did. I mean, I did deep tissue uh, and she had done a cranial one. And she goes, Amy, I have to give you, you have to come in and experience this. This is nothing like you're ever going to experience. So I go do it. She does the techniques on me. She gets to my head. And all of a sudden, I'm getting the headaches. Uh, she's touching me like this. Just like this. Well, like, she's like doing this, the one, the sphenoid technique. And she's holding my, my, just right here by my eyes. And I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, but it is giving me the worst headache. And you need to stop. I mean, it's too much. And she goes, I'm barely touching you. I'm like, I don't care. It's too much. And then so gets off I, I said I gotta figure out I had to do some create uh CE class so I'm like I want I need to go to this what the heck is this stuff what is this it gives me a headache so I go and every person because you're learning so they're really heavy handed right you know yeah you know it doesn't feel heavy because like for me I was such a deep tissue therapist it was like gosh this is so light but it was really heavy handed so no one really could touch my head in cranial one because I would get these huge headaches so the TAs and then they said, have you ever had any injury to your head? I'm like, oh, yeah, I had a fracture of the skull. They're like, ah, oh, okay. And so then they could tell, you know, they're like, ah, oh, okay. So I just felt, I mean, 10 minutes in, she's talking about it. I felt like a bell went off in my whole body. Like, this is what I'm doing the rest of my life. Because I was so yeah. into the emotional component of massage. But because I'd be massaging someone, they start crying. And I'm like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? Okay. And I would be with people. And so this just really drew me. And so I kept doing classes. And then, you know, I realized ever since I was little, I wanted to make people feel better. Yeah. I mean, uh, that has been, I thought I was going to be a doctor mm -hmm. and that didn't manifest because of a lot of things, but really because of insurance and just where it was going, I just got turned off. Yeah. And, you know, I used to rub my mom's leg every night with, you know, Lubriderm. I mean, every night almost for, you know, and people would hurt in, in high school, and I would just touch them. I mean, I would literally touch them. And this one, when I got into cranial, I've been doing it for about seven years. I remember, I think that was after my high school grad, uh, like uh, reunion, this, this, one of this, this gentleman who was a year younger than me, he goes, oh, I told him what I did. He goes, you did that in high school. I'm like, what? He, he was a football player, and he had a head injury. And I went to see him in the hospital. And he said, you did something to my head. And I don't. I remember going to see him because you touched my head. And I could feel this stuff happening, and it was so weird. But I didn't say anything because I didn't know what to say. I'm, you know, 60. And I'm like, I don't even hardly remember. Like, wow. Okay. So it, you know, that's part of who who I am is wanting people to feel better in their body. And then having the traumas of your own where you didn't feel better. No. Right. And, you know, I'm just such a driven person, right? I mean, I just, you know, so, so that brings me to current, you know, so I've done that. I mean, I did cranial and I've been doing that. I, I moved to Hawaii, did cranial, came back to Reno. You know, I've worked with kids, I've worked with adults, I've worked with women. And I just really like, you know, working with complex pain patterns. I really find that most people come to see me have early, early childhood trauma I'll imagine that you know they say, whoa what what and then you're like ha you know like I'll, 
so how old is it? How long even, you know, when, when, uh, you know, and it's just like, wow. So a lot of times they have a complex pain pattern that nothing hits. And usually that's common with cranial. People don't get to cranial until they've tried everything else because it's, it's just a different therapy and it's newer. It's been here since the eighties, but um, yeah. So a lot of times if it's just physical, physical therapy works. Right. Well, right. But like your head injury was physical, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have a lasting emotional impact on you, which I think is what PT does not address. The fact that even though like I've been in a car accident before and I can separate the, the memory from a physical standpoint and the memory from an emotional standpoint, and they're totally different. Right. And I think the head injury, you're right. So when I'm having the head injury, it's not, it's not slow motion. It's very fast. So it's just, you know, it's like, think about getting shot. So the, the bullet is coming into you, the body's acting, right? So what happens if it goes all the way through you? It's clean. There's trauma in the body, but it's clean. If it stays in the body, uh-huh. that force, bam. The body has to do something with all that force. It's non-self. So it makes it really small, but it can create what's called an energy cyst. This energy that's force that's not yours but that's in you so that can mess up the system and emotion so as i'm falling that's so that's the force of hit but also if i'm like in a car accident i'm seeing it i'm like i'm gonna get hit oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh you know yeah right yeah i'm i'm angry or i'm hurt or i'm like terrified that's emotion that's force too where does that go yeah that's kind of my point because i think you're right about pt if it's just physical but I can think of probably at least eight, probably nine out of 10 times when there's some emotional attachment to what physically happened. Right. It, I think acutely, if you get it done really quick, you know, yeah. like if like I break my leg and it's, it's traumatizing to me, I have some, but if I get it hit quickly, mm-hmm. therapy, that just moves out, you know, because yep. I, I equate, you know, that um, forming of a pattern to jello. So jello is really, you want your body to be liquid, to move. You know, liquid is good. You know, we have this slide, fascia, you want it to slide. So if trauma happens, then it starts like gelatin. It starts to, oh, we don't want things to set. Yeah. No jello, no gelatin, no, you know. Yeah. We don't want jiggle wiggles or those, you know, whatever. <laughs> you remember those? Yes. I know. Very things. bad visual. Oh, you know, I know. My grandma used to do the jiggle or whatever those were. You know where you they cut them out and they'd eat yeah. They'd add more gelatin, the regular gel. So they would really, really set. And so that's what you're looking at. So I think the thing is, is a lot of people don't come until it's very chronic, very old. They don't even know the layerings happen. And right. so there's a lot happening. So, yep. you know, that's where sometimes it's really great a match with talk therapy because they can talk about it, they can do the body work, they can take what they've learned in the body work back to the talk therapy, and there's this give and take, and it's really beneficial. Right. And I think the other reason, because I know when you told me about what you did, I was like, what? That's a thing? But if you're saying that here are the people that could potentially do this, chiropractors, dentists, I'm not going to tell my dentist ever, you know, that I had a trauma, like, those are not those are not situations when I'm the most realistically going to bring up something like an umbilical cord being wrapped around my neck. 
you do now with your dentist, but like, I wouldn't go looking for his help on how to work through this physical and emotional trauma with, or maybe my chiropractor. I have had an adjustment. There have been a couple times when I've been adjusted that I cried. And it's like an instant switch where you're like, and and I have had the same chiropractor for 15 years, but you know, I set up and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I, whatever you just released in me just triggered. It it has nothing to do with you. Just, I'm just going to allow myself to have this little cry because you released something, but I wouldn't have thought to take that conversation with him further. If he asked a question, right. See, that's the whole thing. So a lot of times some practitioners only take the physical part of the class. You know, then there's the somatic emotional. So some people stop like rockers tend to not want to go beyond because they just, they like the structural. So there's a physical component to cranial and there is then as you move into the curriculum, you're going to go deeper. Some people, you know, you meet the tissue where it's at, Mm -hmm. you meet the tissue follow the tissue wherever that is the connection with cranial you don't go off in the story yeah they can right you have to stay connected to the tissue if the tissue is releasing it is significant if the tissue is not releasing that is a wild goose chase yeah and a lot of therapists go into the story and the person's going through this thing but there's nothing happening under my hands yeah that's that's it's a good story you know, right. and they may have trauma that's really good. I mean, you know, that's real, but it's not, in, it's not significant to this release here. Right. So that's right. the difference. It has, I have to feel it in the tissue. So I have to stay grounded so I don't go off and, oh, anyway. So Take me to 2004 now, because I find this very fascinating. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I know. Now we're getting into some good stuff. <laughs> So, now, <laughs> I know there's all good. I mean, you know, you just think. So I'm 30. I moved to Hawaii. I have a practice. My kids are, you know, it's just great. I'm looking at, you know, buying a house there and building a house and blah blah blah. And then I get diagnosed with uh, thyroid cancer, throat. Throat. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't occur to oh me. Really. No, yeah. shut the front door. I mean, that the big C. I don't know. That was the biggest thing. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, it was such a. That was the two by four. That was really between the two by four and the house burning down. It just oh. it blew, blew so many of my thoughts and, and my structures, my, my psychic structures and my psyche and, you know, all those things. Like, I just thought I was so healthy. I just thought all this stuff. I had worked through all this stuff. I had done everything. What is, how could I get cancer? And cancer is non-discriminatory. <laughs> okay. And it was one of the best things because it, you know, stripped down all that stuff that I still needed to work on, took me to a deep level. And uh, it was, you know, it, it, it brought about a deeper level in my work about slowing down the pace and creating a pace and really looking at educating people on how to take care of themselves and self-care. I went into this whole piece about how to help people with identifying the fight, fight, freeze response. How do they know they're in chronic stress? How do they know the difference between that and burnout? Mm. And really develop this change your, you know, change your pace, change your life. And that was part of my practice. But, it, you know, I, how I use it today is I just still educate all my clients. I don't do any more trainings. I did some trainings for a while and, and, and classes and 
and I just realized my my love was working with the clients one on one and just giving them everything that I had in the session. So I still use everything. I have a little flight pipe freeze um, in my bathroom and it has my stop sign because I have a stop sign, a stop and breathe. I mean, you know, I've just done so much, you know, it's almost been, it's been a long time. And so that really took me to a different level and yeah. just, it's more quiet. You know, I think I say now it's one of the best things that happened to me because it really let me get to know a lot more of myself and tear down some of those belief systems that you know I was buying into that were not true false systems and all that stuff it just took me to a deeper level yeah you, well I mean in situations like that when you're diagnosed with something and there was like you said it's not discriminatory there wasn't anything you could have done you know it it's it's something you're presented with instead of something you had control over not happening is that explained well? Am I explaining that well? Yeah. Well, it's my response. It's like, well, how do I respond? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see all like, I, I love the Louise Hay stuff, but one of the ways I use affirmations is how is, what's my response to the affirmation? Yeah. You know, is it, yeah, right. What's going on on the committee, right? Yeah, right. She's so full of it. Oh my gosh. I can't believe she's believing this shit. Or is it, yeah, that's what I really want. I want it so bad, but I can't get there. Or it's like, yeah, that's, that, I'm working on it. Or yeah, I'm really in a good space. So I like to, it tells me where I am in my, you know, where I am. Yeah. In my response. And I love that. And cancer, you know, took me down, kind of like lava, took me down to the, to the bare bone. <laughs> like a big lava flow. Right. And living in Hawaii, I mean, you think, no, it's going to, it's going to miss me. It's going to miss me. And it's this slow or this big. <laughs> explosion sometimes there's like the snow snake and it's coming and yeah. there's nothing you can do right right and you use it as a catalyst to go deeper with yourself and deeper with your clients yeah again it gives me another experience now so it doesn't blow me out of the water you know i just i think that's the whole thing is using these things and uh to help me grow you know for me personally you know it's a win-win it helps me and then it just helps me expand and be able to go deeper like you said with my clients and uh i think you know the last thing that where i'm at now is about a year ago i got introduced to this company called Livkaya, and i i said oh i love the products and i'm, I'm going to use them for my clients you know these are great tools for my clients Okay. I, don't, I, don't I love this because we're going right back in. This is where I wanted to end. So this is great. And right, this, you're talking CBD. I mean, I, yeah, this is CBD, awesome. Probiotics, right? So I said, okay, I love the CBD for my clients. I want to add it to my arsenal so I give people tools. So as I started, and of course I have to research it. So I'm researching it. It says, you know, the microdosing is you have to take it for 30 days to find your, you know, your frequency, like one to three times a day and how much you're going to take your dose, whether it's a half, you know, half a drop or full full. So I, so finally I thought, gosh, if I'm asking my clients to do this, I'm going to have to try it. All right. right. You know, to see. So I'm thinking for aches and pains and, you know, I'm like, I don't have any anxiety because, you know, I just, I just plow through things. I don't need it for that. No, I'm good. And then I took it. I took it on the day at the first time I really noticed it was my husband was having his commander pinning ceremony in the Navy. And I was, you know, I was a little, control a little freaked out and I took some and I was so calm what the heck is that? 
And then I was talking to a friend of mine who's a marriage and family counselor. So then I've been taking it for a while. Because she goes, well, you know, I think it would be really good for you. And I'm like, oh, look at that. But you know, you have PTSD. You know, you have, you have, uh, you know, I'm like, what? She goes, you have anxiety. Amy, come on. And I'm like, I guess, you know, with all, from a clinical standpoint, I guess, you know, you could say maybe. So I realized I have this friend here my whole life, you know, this hypervigilance where, you know, I may respond a little, just maybe, right? Just a little bit, right. Just a little. And she's been with me forever, which just seems normal. And since I've been taking that CBD, she has just melted away. You know, it's just filled in those cracks. And my husband, this is how I know it's so significant. He goes, you know, I did something. He goes, you could have responded in so many different ways. I really like the way you responded it, Amy. And he has said that to me several times since I've been taking the CBD. So for to have your closest person who knows you in and out to say that, mm -hmm. it's pretty significant. So it's another great tool for myself and for my clients. I, you know, I, it's part of my arsenal now as well. But I, I do take it myself and I love it because it just, it's medicinal and it just helps fill in those places that I could not reach with therapy, training, right. any other aspect, you know, and plant medicine is really powerful. So, oh, see, I love it. This is where I, I'm giving an opinion here, but this is where, when um, they were making weed legal, I've never smoked it in my life. I've never, I haven't had an edible. I, I have no experience with it. I didn't have any desire to go get high when I was, mm -hmm. okay. But if you're talking about it from just a medicinal standpoint, and you and I had a little bit of a conversation on this, there are a whole bunch of things that, and CBD is, doesn't have the THC in it. So like right. my husband can take it, he drives a truck, he would not test positive. So T CBD is just one part of this. But just as a whole, if you look at the things that it can treat, from a, a plant-based medicinal um, perspective and the alternative from pharmaceutical, 150% of the time, I'm going to go plant-based medicinal. I had a naturopath, I had my kids at home. Like I'm 150% I'm going to go because it's not just about like going and getting high with your friends. And so when CBD came out, like you said, about a year ago for you, it was a little longer than that for us. And I looked at him and I'm like, you need to try this because you have so much trouble with your sleep and your schedule. And it made such a difference. And I was like, holy crap. Then the legalization happened. I'm like, alcohol's legal and this isn't. And I can go get an Ambien. You've got to be kidding me. I know, I know. I, I, I tell you, for me, it's helped with anxiety. Yeah. It doesn't help me so much with sleep, so I wish it would. But, you know, again, it, everybody has a different constitution, but mm -hmm. it helps with, I use it topically as well as internally. So it, it's helped okay. with some pain points. And, I mean, it's just, it's it's worth a shot, you know, it's, especially yeah. if you're having issues, you know. And so that's what I say. So, I mean, you know, I just love helping people feel better. I think that's yeah. through cranial, through providing good tools through listening with my hands and you know with my ears and my heart I think and my mind my whole body you know I think we have all these this whole being is made up of all different parts of us and we need to use all of it so I need to use my thinking brain my heart brain you know my hands you know my spirit I think it all comes into play and my trauma is part yes. of us and it's part of me Amy so, thank I you think. so much this was so great this was so fun that was a great way to end! <laughs>